this week on the Back Table Podcast. So it really, it really helps just to reach out to one person. And like I said, just let people know that we can do a lot more. I don't think it's always that we have to do more. Someone just likes to know, likes to hear what the options are and likes to be aware that there are, that we're listening and that we're helping in the management process. And it, it's incredibly fruitful and will lead to a lifetime of patience very quickly. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, which is committed to all things IR and endovascular. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. I'm recording today in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If you're a new listener, welcome. To our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, or pretty much anywhere else you get your podcast. And please check out our web app and, and let us know what we can do to make it useful for you wherever you are in your career. Before we kick off today's topic, I want to share a quick word from our sponsor, BD. BD is focused on partnering with clinicians to deliver innovative, minimally invasive medical devices. From end-stage renal disease to cancer to peripheral arterial and venous disease, BD solutions are making an impact. For more information about BD, please visit BD.com. Now, finally, I can introduce our host who's been on with us many times before and doesn't really need much of an introduction, Dr. Jeff Chick. Jeffrey is, uh, is coming to us from Seattle. Welcome and thank you for coming. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me again. And thanks, Backtable, for everything you've done for me and for all the listeners out there. Thanks. So how's your weekend so far? Are you working? Not too bad, but as all things would have it, upstairs right now, we have a lower extremity DVT. So I might help my colleague <laughs> with it. So it's uh, fitting that this podcast is focused on some of that today. That's very kind of you. I feel like you are, are very commonly out there helping other people learn to do some of these things. And it has been very exciting watching your career grow and some of the exciting things that you're doing that most of us have never even dreamed of looking at. And as you mentioned, today we're going to be talking about venous disease and specifically developing a deep venous program. You know, for our listeners out there, you know, not everybody is doing the, the full slate of venous interventions that, that you're offering. Just kind of briefly tell us about, you know, what kind of things you're doing in your practice, you know, what, what the role of venous disease is at, at University of Washington. Of course. So here we have a multidisciplinary center where we have many IR folks and some vascular surgeons as well who are working together in a comprehensive center to manage all aspects of venous disease. We do all of the aspects of superficial venous disease, such as phlebectomy and ablation and anything deep venous, venous thromboembolic disease from filters, acute deep venous thrombosis, chronic deep venous thrombosis, management of upper extremity disease, lower extremity disease, pulmonary embolism, the whole gamut from the patient's presentation through their therapy and all of throughout their lifelong care. And the great thing has been uh, me and my colleagues here have developed sort of a referral center where we've been very fortunate to get patients from all over the West Coast, even all over the country at this point. So it's exciting uh, and it continues to uh, grow and be challenging every day. Yep, it, it certainly does. Uh, now, Jeff, you have trained and worked at, at some of the premier institutions in the United States, you know, from Harvard to Penn and University of Michigan, and, and now finally at University of Washington. And, and you've also trained with, you know, some of the legends in the field, including, you know, Dr. David Williams, who is like the Michael Jordan of venous disease, if I can say that. Is that, is that fair? 
I think that's, that's totally fair. <laughs> I, I, I think a bunch of different people that some of us have worked with, I think uh, initially uh, Deepak Suhindra at Penn sort of encouraged us to venture and expose us to venous disease. I think uh, all of us here during fellowship and I think as you sort of acknowledge, some of my interests and techniques and skills were honed by David Williams, who's absolutely a giant in the field who, and who has been doing this for 30 years, combined with some of the work of Ravi Srinivasa, who was also there, and Kyle Cooper at the time. We really developed and honed some of the expertise in thrombolysis, thrombectomy, venous stenting. And now in my current practice, I also work with another giant in the field in the vascular surgery space, Mark Meisner, who has also been very influential in the venous field. So I've been fortunate to help have them guide me and to help hone my practice over time. So Jeff, despite working at some of these incredible institutions with some of these big names, you still managed to carve out your own space at each one of these doing some some very different things. Could you maybe just tell us a little bit about you know your journey and, and some of the the lessons you learned at these institutions along the way? So I think, as I alluded to a little bit, at University of Pennsylvania, I think we were, as trainees, exposed to, I think, the, the background and the foundations of both superficial venous de disease and deep venous disease. But it wasn't until at the University of Michigan that I really got uh, full exposure to the actual practices of uh, thrombolysis and venous stenting. As you alluded to, David Williams has been uh, a giant in the field for proper stent placement and various stenting techniques. So it was there that I uh, learned some of my lower extremity venous disease techniques, particularly access from posterior tibial veins, popliteal veins, access from above, the proper regions to stent iliocaval venous segments and where do and do places that stent should be placed and should not be placed in the lower extremities and particularly the management of these patients. What is the proper workup for these patients and what is the proper anticoagulation regimens for these patients after they're stented? Because an important component here is these are lifelong patients. They don't, it's not one intervention and they're out the door. They require lifelong care, lifelong surveillance. And that's some of the lessons that I learned at Michigan. And I've carried these out to the University of Washington, as you alluded to, and focused also and tried to work on some of the upper extremity venous disease work, because that's an area where not much has been done. Patients with chronic end-stage renal disease who have had multiple dialysis catheters and have essentially lost all extre upper extremity vasculature we're working to uh, reinvent or create uh, normal vasculature in these patients so that they can have a somewhat normal life. Right on. That's exciting, man. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to say that, you know, it, it's not necessarily for most of you, know, most of us out there, when we're going to a new hospital, there is some sort of uh, venous treatment program in place. You know, it, it's not necessarily building these from the ground up as much as it is kind of developing or or growing the venous practice where you are, you know, in, in your practice, when, you know, you've gone to these new hospitals and you've, you've been able to carve out your own niche. I mean, what are the cues you're looking for that tell you that, you know, you need to grow, you know, you need to add something. Exactly. So I think the first thing that is very important is sort of surveying the land and seeing what is being offered and what isn't being offered. 
a, I think, a tremendous challenge to the Venus field and the Venus space in general is the global lack of awareness of what interventionalists can offer to patients. So quite often, these patients are floating around in the hospital, have multiple admissions, have, I'll speak, say, deep venous thromboses of the upper or lower extremities, and they're sort of lost to follow-up or managed with anticoagulation with, say, poor follow-up after that. And no one takes ownership due to a global lack of understanding. And clinicians are not aware that we can do more and that there are many, many therapies out there these days. So part of the, the most important step and the sort of the groundbreaking step is helping yourself uh, be known as an expert in the field and helping the, uh, your colleagues and referrers and patients know that there is a lot of data in this space and that there are a lot of treatment options in this space that really can help uh, sort of change the outcome of these patients substantially. And most of the time, it's just getting the word out and letting people know that we can do a lot more than we currently are. There are a lot of fish in the pond when it comes to treating venous disease. And especially for somebody entering a new hospital, a new environment, you know, how do you, how do you present that? I mean, how do you establish yourself amongst these other clinicians that might also be offering treatment for venous disease, especially when it comes to adding something new? Exactly. So I like to consider that we are the endovascular experts and we are the experts in this field. And it first starts with our, with our training and letting folks know that we are very well adept in the endovascular treatments and in this space and that we are the imaging experts. So quite often these patients can be easily identified from either uh, reading venous duplex exams or identifying abnormalities on CT, CT venography, or MR venography. So they can easily be identified from an imaging standpoint and collected and treated from that standpoint. But the major thing I think is getting out there and speaking to your internal medicine colleagues, speaking to your family medicine colleagues, speaking to your emergency physicians and your emer emergency colleagues, and letting them know exactly what can be done. Because I know initially here in Washington, we struggled a little bit initially in the fact that many patients were prescribed anticoagulation, long-term anticoagulation, which works in many patients, but referrers were often unaware of our thrombectomy devices or our thrombolysis devices or stenting practices and the data behind it. So, now with some of these new devices and a little bit better global outreach, things have changed dramatically. Nearly every single patient that comes to the hospital now is run through one of me or my colleagues. Again, not just for an intervention, but just for thoughts on management and thoughts on what would be appropriate and is anticoagulation the best in this situation or is a procedure the best in this intervention or in this situation? And what is the long-term goal for this patient? And what are the risks of various treatments? So it's helpful to make yourself available and make yourself known because as an interventionalist, you are an incredibly integral member of the treatment team for venous disease. You know, going from there, I mean, who all needs to be involved with your team and, and what is the basic equipment that you need to have if you're going to start treating these? 
So most of the time we have a hematologist or oncologist who sees some of these patients when we're consulted for various coagulopathies or thrombophilias or to try to pin down what was the underlying mechanism of, say, deep venous thrombosis or venous disease at the initial presentation. And they can help provide some underlying guidance for long-term therapy with anticoagulation or antiplatelets or so forth. Then we have a dedicated team here, a variety of interventional radiologists and vascular surgeons as well, who have dealt with venous disease for a long time for both endovascular options and for surgical options. And we collaborate very well together. And uh, these patients are reviewed by us and a plan is, a comprehensive plan in general is developed uh, for the treatment of these patients. Now, when it comes to devices, as we all know here, the landscape is uh, rapidly changing. So over the past year or so, many of our techniques have changed. We have a variety of general devices for treating acute DVT. So we have our standard lysis approaches, which we've had uh, a variety of lysis catheters. So obviously you need uh, your catheters, you need hospital-based facilities such as intensive care units to monitor these patients. So you need to be in touch with your intensivists for management overnight or long-term management and the various protocols that you have established. But as time has gone on, things have changed a little bit. So now we have a variety of thrombectomy devices uh, that can be used in various specific situations. So we have smaller devices such as penumbra thrombectomy devices, such as the CAT 6, 8, and now the Lightning 12 just off the market, which work fantastic for venous disease. We have the Inari devices, such as clot retriever and flow retriever, which are larger bore thrombectomy devices for treating venous disease and for thrombectomy. We have the Angiovac devices, which are available. And all of these have their unique role. And all of these sort of play a specific part in upper extremity and lower extremity disease and the extent of disease. So it's very nice to have a, like I said, a multidisciplinary approach and a thorough discussion. Uh, to decide what is the appropriate device for the appropriate situation and the uh, appropriate patient. Got it. But what about in terms of your own department? I mean, how much buy-in do you have to have with the rest of the people from the rest of the people you work with? I mean, I mean, I'd say you at least have to have, you know, one other person involved in terms of at least helping with on-call stuff or, or help with some of your own patients if, if they're covering on-call. How do you do that in your own department? Absolutely. So as you guys know, who those of you who do venous disease out there, it's not always straightforward. So for the relatively acute deep venous cases, these can be managed relatively easily with thrombectomy and or a stent placement, but it often requires some thoughtful treatment. So I've been very fortunate to have several colleagues in my department who I bounce ideas off with and discuss these cases with specifically David Shin and Sandeep Badia, who, and Chris Ingram, who we do a lot of these cases together. And it's always helpful to have another pair of eyes, or as you alluded to, have another person on call to help manage these patients. And it is extremely helpful to have these individuals for our chronic venous occlusive uh, patients. So I typically have uh, another colleague quite often David Shin manage these chronic venous cases with me because 
these cases can recanalizing and stenting and treating chronic venous patients can be upwards of eight hours or more to do the job well and to do the job properly. And it can be exhausting and it can require, it requires another pair of hands at all times. So with a dedicated and skilled colleague or department, it helps cut the time down on these treatments and helps them be more successful. So as you alluded to, you absolutely need other folks in your department and you absolutely need buy-in because to manage these patients comprehensively and to manage them well, you absolutely cannot do this alone. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, well, some of us can't do any of the things you're doing. I was kind of curious to hear how you came up with the concept for and, and, and put together some of these procedures like your extra anatomic venovenous bypasses. I mean, how did you, where did this come from, Jeff? Yeah, well, I wish, I would love to say that I came up with the idea myself. I'll give uh, you the credit, but, don't worry. But it was far from the truth. Uh, so there was an article in JVIR approximately, I think a year and a half ago now, uh, that described the extra anatomic venous bypass uh, for essentially th thoracic outlet syndrome and crossing the shoulder region to provide inline flow for upper extremity dialysis dysfunction. And I just happened to pass by the paper and then shortly after that, one of my colleagues and I had a patient who was in a situation that could require that. And so we, it was slightly different where we modified the technique to do a by bypass where we made uh, two bypasses, one from an upper extremity vein and one from a dialysis graft, sort of our own modification based on the paper. And the, the results were miraculous. The patient's arm swelling uh, resolved within 48 hours and the dialysis access was available for use immediately. And since that time, uh, we've expanded upon the technique for a variety of dialysis-based patients. And now we even do it for upper extremity malignant dis disease, particularly venous obstruction from breast cancer, from axillary metastases, and we've probably done over 10 to 15 patients now. All of them have been, have stayed open. And thus far, they've all been life-changing. So I think this is a, a space that, and this, this sort of example illustrates that a lot more can be done for these patients. A lot more can be, there's a lot of innovation that's out there. Interventional radiology is super exciting in that aspect. And some of the techniques from the upper extremity bypass can be sort of adapted to other areas. You could, you could envision that you could do an iliac vein bypass in a similar way. You could do a cross femoral bypass in a similar way. You could do a saphenous bypass in a similar way. So, and you could do a bunch of arterial procedures as well. So... It's sort of the, I wish I came up with the idea, but I, I certainly didn't, but we've sort of run with it. And I think we've helped a lot of patients thus far here with it. And then in terms of following those patients, I mean, and in general, when you get to some of these patients with very complex disorders with, for thromboembolic disease, really prone to clots, you know, do you manage all the, the anticoagulation yourself or is there ever a point where, you know, you think this patient needs to see a hematologist? 
Exactly. So typically we have a hematologist on board and they help us look for, uh, perform a thromboembolic workup. But I think there's a lot that's unknown in that space. And there's a lot that we learn every day. I'm uh, fortunate to have two dedicated coordinators that help me manage all of these patients. Otherwise, there's no way on earth that I could do it myself. And combined with the two of them, we manage all the surveillance on these patients, which includes typically venous duplex exams at one, three, six, 12 months and two years, uh, CT venography at six months and one year, and then also managing their anticoagulation. And as we discussed earlier, the anticoagulation or the antiplatelet regimens are key to these patients. And the surveillance is key as well. And these are lifelong patients that interventionalists have to take the ownership of and have to be willing to follow them for the uh, rest of their lives. Because as we all know, they'll come back to you. Uh, they'll need touch-ups here and there. They'll have compliance or great compliance with their medications. They'll have bleeding complications. And as a clinician, and a individual who follows patients constantly, it'll be your job uh, to take care of these patients for the rest of your life. Sure. Jeff, I'm going to take a moment now and uh, share another word from our sponsor, BD. When developing new products, BD's team of engineers work closely with physicians to both address their procedural needs and help make improvements to, to make care possible. For more information about BD, please visit BD.com. Jeff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot again at this point and, and ask you another uh, question about your own team. You know, for some of the more complex things you do, and especially with, for venous interventions, having good imaging is, is crucial. Do you have any hand in training your sonographers or CT techs to, to get the imaging that you need? Or, you know, are most of these patients, are you imaging them yourself? So we do a little bit of both, to be honest. So a lot of these patients come with imaging from outside hospitals, which while is often diagnostic, but may not be up to the quality that we're interested in or that may identify the problem. So we've been very fortunate here and have our vascular lab that's here. It was one of the premieres in the country and is studying all sorts of venous disease and venous parameters, including velocities throughout all venous segments and throughout pre and post venous stents, which is sort of revolutionary and is not being done really anywhere in the world. So our vascular lab is very, very helpful in that regard. Same, the same thing is on our CT side where we have uh, specialized CT venography protocols, which we've worked to sort of refine with the diagnostic radiologists to help for both upper extremity disease and lower extremity disease to help identify exactly what we're looking for. But as you alluded to, there's nothing better than having the ultrasound in your own hands. So when these patients come in to see us, we ultrasound them as well. And we ultrasound them ourselves just to confirm or negate some of the previous findings. And that's an important thing. As a image-based expert and in, as an imager, we're the experts in the imaging of these patients. And we know what to look for. We know pitfalls. We know perils. We know all those things. So it's helpful to take an active role in the imaging as you uh, suggested. So Jeff, in most hospitals, certainly mine, 
And as I alluded to, you know, there are a lot of fish at the pond and lots of people are treating venous disease. Do you have any uh, advice for people out there and, and how to, to best work with these other specialties, some of whom are sending, you know, cases in whom they've had failures and complications? How do you approach being the interventional radiologist, you know, one person in a field of many who are treating venous disease? Of course. So I think that's a very important uh, point that you sort of touched on. So there's a lot of venous disease being treated out there and respectfully, maybe a lot of venous disease that's not being treated well. So the, I think the very, the most important thing before anything is done is to let yourself kind of stand out as an expert and, and be available to others. Because a very important thing here is to let others know that you're available for a consultation before anything is done, because these patients can be absolutely made worse if treatments are performed that are not necessary or are poorly performed. So having you be known as an expert for either your treatment or your advice or your post-operative repair is very, very invaluable. So I can, I can say probably a third of the cases that my colleagues and I get are from surrounding areas, from patients with suboptimal treatments or suboptimal results and having yourself be available and having yourself be knowledgeable can really save these patients ultimately. It has been a struggle for me at, at certain institutions, you know, kind of breaking into certain, you know, clinical procedures, certain procedures, uh, certain patient populations uh, where there was already a big hand either from uh, vascular surgery or cardiology. And, you know, I've, I've had people offer assistance mainly from, you know, from reps for device companies. What's your experience been with, with marketing either from, you know, your, your own department or hospital or, or with the assistance of, of industry help? Of course. So I think uh, a, an internal marketing component that we have that's very helpful is like, a, like we alluded to the knowledge of the imaging. So you can use the imaging to your advantage, the venous duplex and the CT venography for when particular findings are present, helping refers identify yourself or your colleagues as experts in this space and helping them identify additional treatments that can be used. So I often use our imaging or discuss with our diagnostic colleagues to sort of do hospital-wide marketing on our behalf to clearly document the abnormalities and to clearly document who can be contacted for additional discussions and additional therapy options. So that's certainly an internal marketing component. And it's not to capture these cases myself, but it's more to let others know that this can be treated and that a therapy is possible and that additional discussions can occur. But I think we've been very fortunate recently with some of the newer devices that are out there like I said, some of the Inari devices, some of the Penumbra devices, some of the dedicated venous stents such as Venovo and Vici, to have some of the representatives from their companies help place greater emphasis on venous disease and venous treatment options. So I know they've held meetings and they've uh, provided marketing materials for some of my referrers and some of my and some of the emergency departments and so forth. Again, just helping raise aware, global awareness of venous disease and sort of help push the venous campaign in proper treatment uh, for these patients. 
Okay, Jeff, you know, a, another question for you that, uh, that Aaron texted me, it's something that I have, have dealt with several times, like in a new hospital, you know, you're reading a study, say venous Doppler, and, and you find some abnormality on there and, and you have something that you think you can offer, you know, can you walk us through your approach to reaching out to these doctors, you know, that you very well may not even know and, and making that pitch, not just necessarily for a one-time thing, but establishing a durable clinical relationship, you know, where you can both you know, provide something. Of course. So I think often these are the sort of patients that have e either come through the emergency department or perhaps on inpatient floors where say they have upper extremity swelling or lower extremity swelling. They either get a, a venous duplex exam or they get uh, some sort of CT that basically shows an abnormality. And the clinicians are looking for some sort of explanation and some sort of treatment option. So once this finding is identified and once you con typically I either reach out to the clinician by phone or maybe if it's in the evening or so, I'll reach out to them over email and I'll just say, Hey, I, I read your study or I saw your study. I happen to be one of the physicians who is primarily interested in venous disease. And I just want to have a discussion with you about the findings and about all the exciting things that we can do for venous disease these days. And more often than not, the referrers are, as we discussed, completely unaware of what can really be done for these patients. They manage a whole variety of very complex diseases, and there's uh, no way that the vast majority of folks would be up to date on all of venous disease. And once you start to engage them a little bit on even just a very superficial discussion or a data-driven discussion about the treatment options, I find more often than not, when they send the patient to you, they trust you. I have a host of superficial venous disease papers and deep venous disease papers that I often send them just on basic things, on sort of review articles on venous disease and basic approaches to how you do thrombectomy or how you do thrombolysis uh, or how you do stent placement. And I think a short discussion and a couple papers here and there goes a long way. And I've developed a, this relationship with several uh, referrers. I can think of one for something as silly as port placements and port associated or catheter associated deep venous thrombosis. I helped one clinician over a port removal and now anytime he sees any kind of DVT or port associated uh, complication, he calls me immediately. And this has uh, resulted in probably 10 to 20 uh, complex venous interventions just from ports alone. So wow. think, yeah, so it really, it really helps just to reach out to one person. And like I said, just let people know that we can do a lot more. I don't think it's always that we have to do more. Someone just likes to know, likes to hear what the options are and likes to be aware that there are, that we're listening and that we're helping in the management process. And it, it's incredibly fruitful and will lead to a lifetime of patients very quickly. And, you know, it's one of the, the great things about our specialty is, you know, the many conversations we've all had with clinicians that are in a bind and you tell them like, I don't have a solution, but give me a little while and I'll think of one and, and 
coming up with those, conceiving these and, and, and bringing them to fruition is one of the best things of the job is, is being the fixer. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's anybody out there who has, has done that better than you with some of the remarkable cases that you've shared. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to you for that. And of course, for coming on this podcast, but, you know, your own help to me in my own practices, I've taken on some of these more challenging cases. You know, I think everybody has a lot to learn from you. Well, I think it's, I certainly, well, I certainly appreciate the words, that's for sure. But I, it's, I think we all have our folks that have been very helpful to us. And I think it speaks to our society and our colleagues in general, not just from the venous disease space, but interventional radiology in general. We are, as you alluded to, the fixers. So we're often the last lines. And I think we all complement one another very well. And we learn stuff every day from one another via text, phone call, Twitter, social media, patients in the hospital, everything. And that's what makes this job exciting. And that's what makes all of us working together uh, worthwhile day after day. Well, Jeff, unless there's anything else that you'd like to add that I'm missing, I'll probably wrap it up here. No, well, I think it was super enjoyable talking to you guys as always. And I appreciate everything you're doing, not only for venous disease, but I've noticed that your, the back table has grown tremendously. Uh, your website is outstanding. Uh, your information for not only our own specialty, but other specialties and for referrers is fantastic. And I think without you guys, well, I think you guys have certainly helped push our field forward. And it's not only for procedurals themselves, but for patients and for the entire world. So thank you guys again for having me and thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you so much for that feedback. We're always looking for it. We're always trying to find a way to do this better and, and help our community. And, and again, as always, thank you for coming. It's always fun. I'm, I'm looking for excuses to you know, just come up with topics for you to come on and talk with us about. And again, I'd also like to thank our sponsor, BD. Visit BD.com for more information. Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, see you on the next one.